join Jacob in welcoming everyone here tonight. And also, especially for the songs that he led. I had asked him in advance to lead some songs that would kind of set the stage for our study tonight. Appreciate everyone joining in to those. And as you think about what we just sung, I'm, I'm hoping that it will fit into our study as, as, as I have planned and as I've mentioned. We are now in, I believe, year 23 of having an annual lecture series here at Oak Mountain. And this year, as you see on the title screen behind me, um, The Roles of God. And we kicked that off in January. Simon got us started with the introduction to this idea. And we focused in that lesson on God as the Creator. And speaking of Simon, I just want to publicly thank you for doing all the heavy lifting last fall. And Put, pulling scripture material together, putting some outline material together. We've shared that with the men, and I want to thank the men as well that have agreed to, or that were voluntold to uh, participate this year. And uh, we, we're looking forward to that um, as we do each year. It is a, I think it is a benefit for each of us that do that. We, we in the audience, we get treated to different perspectives. Uh, people come from different backgrounds. The speakers themselves can gain experience. They gain confidence in a, in a role like this. And, of course, when you study more, you, you add depth to your, your knowledge of that given subject. So one of the goals that we have in this series is to better know God. Now, that's a broad term. I understand that. And that's, and, and hopefully, the way that we've broken it up across the year, that's exactly what we'll do. We'll learn to better know Jehovah God. The prophet Jeremiah in the 7th century B.C., that's where we'll take our first scripture from tonight, if you want to turn over that way. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 23 in just a moment. <coughs> this is during the 7th century B.C., during the reign of Josiah. And it went on, Josiah was followed by two of his sons, Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah. All of these were kings of Judah. Jeremiah said this when he was describing the yearning that God has for a relationship with his people, the children of Israel specifically in this context. In Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24, This is what the Lord says, let no, man, let no wise man boast of his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast of his might, nor a rich man boast of his riches. But let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And in the New Testament, and we looked at this, I think, at the beginning of Simon's lesson in January, in John 17, Jesus said in uh, chapter 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life. This is the meaning of eternal life. This is what helps you gain eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, again, the goal is to deepen our knowledge with each month, each lesson. We deepen our love, our reverence, and our relationship with God Almighty. So tonight, we're adding four roles of God that are tightly intertwined, and I'll walk through those, introduce them to you, and then we're going to dig into the details, of course. God is the sustainer, the provider, the preserver, and finally, the helper. And you can see immediately how similar these are. And um, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time walking through each four of these, see how they intersect. We're going to look uh, initially... Um, at just a basic Merriam-Webster type definition of each of these words. And then we're going to look at several passages which my goal in looking at those is for us to understand that God is the supreme definition of these words. So bear with me as we walk through a number of passages, both Old Testament and New Testament, and I'll be, uh, I'll be using the New American Standard tonight. So we'll dig right into God as our sustainer. Sustained is defined to give support or relief, to nourish, to buoy up, or to bear up under. And we'll start this idea from Psalm 104. Psalm 104. <clears throat> now, bear with me as I my voice kind of goes in and out. I've been battling what everybody else has been battling, I guess. So I'll have to stop and cough occasionally, but just bear with me. <clears throat> Psalm 104. This is really a beautiful read on how God put all things in motion and how He continues to sustain, to use our word, His creation. So we'll, re we'll read a little bit from Psalm 104, and we'll start in verse 5. Psalm 104 and verse 5. He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. Skipping down to verse 10. And this sounds like exactly maybe what the writer of one of our songs from tonight was reading when he, when he penned, penned the verses. Verse 10. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every animal of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky dwell beside them. They lift up their voices from among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for all the cattle and vegetation for the labor of mankind. That's sustain right there for sure, isn't it? For all his creation. Psalm 55 is our next read. Psalm 55. This is a psalm of David when he is distressed about his enemies. Psalm 55 will begin in verse 1. Listen to my prayer, God, and do not hide yourself from my pleading. Give your attention to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and severely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy because of the pressure of the wicked. And then skipping down to verse 16. 
As for me, I shall call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and moan, and He will hear my voice. For they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they hold a grudge against me. And then in verse 22, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. We too have enemies. We don't have enemies like David, but we have enemies nonetheless. Political, educational, in the workplace. All these places where Satan has gained so much ground and works diligently against us. But just like David, just like David, God can and will sustain us if we are righteous, to use the, this very phrase from the 55th Psalm, if we are righteous. When he said, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. <clears throat> Moving over to the New Testament, in Acts chapter 17, and I need to catch up with my slides, I apologize. I know Mark and Jason are having a good time back there because they know, they know when I get behind. Acts chapter 17, this is when the Apostle Paul is visiting Athens on his second missionary journey. He visited Mars Hill. This is a familiar passage. He observed idols and altars of worship of all kinds. And he delivered a familiar sermon in which he proclaimed the following about the altar that they had that had the inscription to the unknown God. Paul said... I want to talk to you about this God. Verse 22, Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance... That's this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything that is in it. Since he is Lord and heaven of earth does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that you would seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we, we live and move and exist. Without God, the mere breath of life, as simple a thing as we can be tempted to think that that is, the simple breath of life is not there without Him. Without Him sustaining us, we cease to exist. We'll move ahead to God as our provider. <coughs> Provide can be defined as to supply or make available, to provide in advance, and to meet a need. God's been our provider since the dawn of creation. 
Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, speaking of the dawn of creation. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 28 there in just a moment. When God created man in his own image on day 6, in verse 28, the text reads, God blessed them, and God said to them, This is man and woman. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. That was from Genesis, and we're going to go all the way over to Matthew now. In what we would, I think, all agree, the greatest gospel sermon ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe we read this, or at least part of it, in our gospel meeting last week with Brother Brett. In Matthew 6, Jesus promised our provisions conditionally. He promised our provisions if we seek Him first. In Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, <coughs> Do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, they do not sow, reap, gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day, a single day to his life's span? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed, him, clothed himself like did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, drink, wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And here's the conditional part. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. We've read it a thousand times. A thousand and one is just that much better. We need to be reminded of this um, often, I think. We need to re remember this text maybe more, more often maybe than perhaps we do. <clears throat> In Philippians... Paul's in prison. He's writing his closing thoughts. In uh, chapter 4, we'll read in just a moment. He rejoiced at the provisions he had. He had what he needed. A man in prison, imagine that. He had what he needed. And he was confident that all of their needs, that the people to whom he was writing... He was confident that their needs would be met also. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, 
I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God is our preserver. <coughs> to use our fourth, our, my thir our third word tonight, preserve can be defined as to protect, to keep alive, intact, free from decay, uh, or reserved for special use. And as we just read from Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the focus it has is, is about our physical lives primarily. When we consider how God can preserve us spiritually, He certainly made that possible through His Word. He's made certain that we can know Him through His Word. In, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll go there next. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll pick up the reading in uh, verse 22. Peter's writing to Christians that have been scattered around Asia Minor due to uh, various types of persecution. And his message is one that you might expect to that type of an audience. He's trying to reassure them. He's reminding them that they have a living hope, an imperishable inheritance, and they also have the promise of salvation. And as chapter 1 ends, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah and reminds them of how God's Word is essential to this reassurance. And we'll pick up the reading, like I said, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obedience to the truth, for a sincere love of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this, this is the word that was preached to you. Things of this life come and go. God's word is eternal, and it is for us so that we can better know him, understand him, and love him. That message that Peter gave to these first century Christians, it applies just as much to us today as it did them. And we need God's preserved word. Thanks be to God that we have this. We have what they didn't have in the first century. We have the work of all these inspired men. And um, let's make sure that we use it. In uh, 2 Timothy... You'll likely recognize this, as, um, especially as you get into chapter 4. This is 
the very moving <clears throat> message of Paul as he knows his life is near its end. That's the, that's the emotional text where he says, beginning in verse 6, For my, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who, who, has, who have loved his appearing. Again, think, we're thinking about, um, we're thinking about, which one of my words am I on? Preserving. We're thinking about preserving. Um, Paul had plenty of reason to be discouraged at this point in his life. Beyond his health, he, he's, he's an older man. He's in what we believe his second imprisonment in Rome. Demas had deserted him. Christians, Titus and Tychicus, they hadn't deserted him, but they had gone elsewhere to preach the gospel. Alexander had done him great harm in opposing Paul's teaching. Only Luke was there by his side. No one had stood with Paul during his first trial. No human had stood there with him at his first trial. The Lord was with him every step of the way. In uh, 2 Timothy beginning in, or chapter 4 beginning in verse 17, that's where, Paul, that's where Paul talks about this very thing. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> we too can become very discouraged at times. and We need to be reminded of how God preserves us and how He will preserve us just as He did Paul. And he is by our side, walking by our side, every step of the way if we are walking with Him. God is our helper. Help is defined as to give assistance, improve, relieve, or provide with something necessary in achieving a goal. When you think about the nation of Israel and their exodus from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, conquests of Jericho and Canaan, the list goes on, God was their help. After the kingdom divided, there were numerous battles in which God the Helper secured victory. I admire many things about the reign of King Hezekiah. And I wanted us to look at a few verses that encapsulate, I think, very well the kind of man he was. And that as a result, God was beside him helping him. You may recall that as the reign of Hezekiah began... He restored temple worship. He restored proper observance of the Passover. And we're going to look in 2 Chronicles 31 and read a little bit there. 2 Chronicles 31. Second Chronicles 31. <clears throat> And 
So this is where, um, in addition to the things I'd already mentioned, idolatrous places of worship were being destroyed. Hezekiah was seeing to it that those places were demolished. And the chapter ends this way in verse 20 of chapter 31. Hezekiah did this throughout Judah, and he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God and the law and in the commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. <clears throat> and then we're going to skip into ver or chapter 32, rather, um, and pick up uh, an idea here as well. And I believe it's in verse, yeah, verse 1. It says, After these acts of faithfulness, talking about what Hezekiah had been doing, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. So let's listen next to how Hezekiah responds to the, the, to the Assyrian threat <coughs> and how he encouraged his military, not because of who he was, not because he was their king, but he reminded them of who God was. In verse 7 of chapter 32, Hezekiah said, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because the king of Assyria because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. One with us, capital O, the one with him, little o, you can get the significance there. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah had secured God's help with his obedient faith, just like we can. Jesus promised this to us in the New Testament. In John 14, in John 14, if you'll turn over there, and we'll be in uh, John 14, verses 16 and 17. Again, Jesus had promised help, had promised help for his disciples from God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I will ask the Father, Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And that same promise is to us through the inspired word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's, you know, we know this, I've known this one by heart probably longer than any other scripture I can remember. I think probably most of us could say that, that. We've heard this one from our youth. But there's two phrases that, that I especially want to key on when, when we're thinking about how the Word helps us. And it's in the first sentence. All Scripture is inspired or God-breathed, straight from God. And it is beneficial and the rest of it, for teaching, 
for rebuke, correction, etc. But it is God-breathed, and it is beneficial. It is helpful for all these things that we need. There are several life stories from Scripture that kind of blend these ideas together. And uh, one of the things, you know, I, I touched, you know, we've talked about God the Father, but I, I brought in something Jesus said, and I brought in the Holy Spirit just now. It can get, again, you see the connection that those three beings have, and it's, it's, it's difficult to separate them sometimes because we need, we need them all. And as I was mentioning, there's several life stories that kind of blend these four ideas together in Scripture. The, the life of Jesus, of course. I thought about Noah, Joseph, Esther, Daniel. Keep adding to the list. <clears throat> so what I thought I would do is spend the last few minutes that we have talking about Daniel a little bit and how his life brings all this into one place. At least it did for me. Daniel, remember, was taken away into Babylonian captivity from Judah during the reign of Jehoiakim. He and a few other young men were selected by King Nebuchadnezzar to serve in his palace. The idea is that they would be trained for three years in the Chaldean culture, and that training included a share of the king's choice food and wine. This is all in chapter 1. Daniel said, no thank you. Because he knew that partaking of these things would defile his Jewish, his Jewish diet. The commands that he was observing on what he could eat and what he could not eat. And he asked permission not to do this and he offered an alternative solution. Now let's read a little bit from chapter 1. And again, we're in Daniel chapter 1. And um, we're going to see what, um, what he said. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. <clears throat> but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every kind of literature and expertise. Chapter 2, the story continues. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He commands his wise men to not only interpret the dream, but tell me what I dreamed. They can't do that, of course. Daniel gets an opportunity to do it. And with the Lord's help, he does that very thing. Chapter 3, the fiery furnace. Daniel and his friends are sentenced to execution because of their refusal to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. This has always been important to me. They knew what the penalty was before they refused to obey. They knew what they were facing, yet they were willing to die. And, of course, we know that they were, they were saved. I would, I would say per, uh, 
Let's see, which of our, which of our words fits best here? I'm going to say sustaining, all of them, I guess. When not even your hair smells like smoke, when you come out of the fire, I think God's been taking care of you. And uh, that, that's, you know, again, a story we remember from the time we were little. In chapter 6, Daniel has really progressed in his stature in the Babylonian culture. His political clout has grown, and as a result, it's earned him a lot of enemies politically. Uh, in chapter 6 and in verse 4, compare this to today's society politically. I got, a, I got a kick out of reading this. Chapter 6, verse 4. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding government affairs. But they could, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So they decided to use his faith against him. And this, of course, led to Daniel's trip to the lion's den. It's not King Nebuchadnezzar anymore, now it's King Darius. He had great respect, and it seems a great relationship with Daniel. But he was tricked into making uh, an ordinance that he didn't know would have this effect on Daniel. He was devastated that he had been tricked into doing that, like I said, because of his great respect. But that was the law now. And, uh, and the rule had been if, if you don't, that you will be cast into the lion's den um, for doing certain things. The king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den. The king, and this, this, is, what, this is what Darius said to Daniel. Your God, whom you will continually serve, will rescue you himself. Daniel was there all night. Darius couldn't sleep. And he rushed to the lion's den at dawn, and the first words he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And of course, Daniel's life had been spared. He was completely unharmed. So I think all of these attributes that we've studied tonight are clearly on display in the life of Daniel. Four more roles of God. The God, God the Father that supports our, our spiritual, our physical, and our emotional well-being. Where would we be without Him? Uh, the, the God that loves us so much, so much that he offered his only son Jesus to die in our place. You may be here tonight and you believe that he's the son of God. And you, you may be willing to repent of your sins and, and confess that he is Lord in public and be baptized to have those sins forgiven you. We'd love that opportunity to help you with that if that's your wish. Maybe you've done that but sins crept back into your life and perhaps it's done, in, done so in a public way or in, in such a way that you, you feel like prayers would be a great help to you. If either, if either, of, those, um, if either of those are your calling, please come to the front while we stand and sing.